Welcome to the Godcasts. Hey all, and welcome to the Godcast and to this ongoing series that's yet to really sort of, I think, find its feet in terms of its name. But um, we're going at the moment with um, this pilgrim's journey. Uh, but if you want to make some suggestions on improvements, which I already have made several, then please, you could vote on one that I've already suggested. Uh, but um, David, hello, how are you? Welcome. I'm fine, thank you. I'm really enjoying this pilgrim's journey. That sounded so unmoved by how how moving that was. The um, <clears throat> I'm struck by how ironic it is that um, I, I sort of dive in and say hi to everyone and then welcome you to your own podcast channel. Yeah, that's okay. You're happy with that, okay? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, what it what it means is you get a little introduction. Every, every week, yeah, every yeah, and I, I, I never get an introduction. This is John. Quite the wordsmith. So um, we are today in Whitchurch Canicorum. No, no, can Canonicorum. You got it right. You got it right yesterday. Mm. You got mm. it right first time, and you slipped straight back into the old problem. Canonicorum. <laughs> Ronnie Corbett, that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, the the weather was great for you, wasn't it? It was a beautiful mm, day. Yeah, pouring rain, very windy um, on my journey today from Colliford. Um, but it was quite a nice route. It was some good proper footpaths, fields and woodland, which was really nice, although there was a point at which I had to get across a field of very aggressive cows, Cows aren't known as being, you know, the most aggressive things in uh, mm. in the world, but they can be quite dangerous. And this lot were quite intent on being quite dangerous. To, to, I mean, there are levels of danger from cows, I guess. Describe the threat that you felt. Well, I know of people that have been crushed to death by cows when they've tried to walk through fields or along footpaths. Let's, so I do know that there is quite a <laughs> we can We can unravel that sentence for just a moment. Do you know people that have been crushed to death? Or do you know people who know of people? I know of people. You do not know of people that have been crushed to death. Dave, you can't I just don't know them things. because they're not around <laughs> anymore, are they? I know of them. I, I've heard the stories, the news articles. You've heard the stories. Yes, that's what I'm getting. I've heard stories. It's a little bit like people say a swan can break your arm with its wing. Nobody's ever seen it happen, <laughs> but it's something that people like to say. I, we, we, I were talking, we were talking yesterday, you and I, about inviting people maybe to contribute to these episodes. If the cows aren't going to do it, cows are not going to. If gonna... people remember something of my journey or have been listening and wanted to comment on some of the things, some of the drivel that we talk about, um, but maybe there'll be people out there listening who will know that what I'm talking about is fact. I grew up in the countryside, John. I know the fact that cows can be quite aggressive. And this lot were determined to cause me some grief. It was unpleasant, uncomfortable, unnerving. You froze for a long time there. I'm never sure... Did I? When you freeze, if you were just saying maybe there'll be people out there who know, 
And then you sat very still and quiet for a long time. And I've got no idea if it's still recording at that point. Well, let's just pick it up from a little bit earlier. Okay. So we were talking about inviting people to maybe contribute. You and I earlier were saying mm. good to see if people like there can remember the trip, have recovered from meeting me and feel, you know, mm. it's only been five years. Talk about it now. So if you have and you'd like to drop us a message, respond to any of our posts, that'd be really good. Um, but what I meant to say was, they might, there'll be people out there that will know that caves can be dangerous, you know? So let's let's see. I'm, I I just wonder if you're trying to beef this journey up a little bit. Oh, <laughs> oh that's, that's awful. That's if you're milking. <laughs> Shall we, anyway... Yes, anyway. Well, in, um, you're in, in Witchich, Harry Corbett. No, yeah. Harry. Who's Harry Corbett? That was one of the cows, wasn't it? That was his name. <laughs> church Canonicorum. It's an amazing place. The church is actually called St. Candida and Holy Cross. Before we move on, though, I'm just concerned that people <laughs> are going to have a real phobia now of cows. I, I don't think we could just leave it there. People should take care when walking on footpaths through fields of caves. They should just be aware that caves can be stroppy. But there's a level, a stroppy, I think, is okay. Um, there's a level of awareness I think people need, and I don't think it is. Don't ever approach a cow. That's all I'm going to say. Please carry on. Good. Anyway, yes. So, yeah, I arrived at... Um, at the church in Witcher's Canonicorum, uh, anticipating having an evening staying there in a big old church and it being a bit uncomfortable because I was pretty soaking wet. Mm. And I'd been walking for six hours. And, yeah, I was thinking this is going to be a, a cold night here, actually. Um, but I was met by a lady called Hilary at the church, and she was one of the church wardens there. Um, and she obviously recognised the kind of physical distress I was in from my walk and invited me to go back to the farm and to, to stay there and to have a meal and a bed and all the rest of it. And that was fabulous because, yeah, was not was not feeling great. Were there any dangerous animals on the farm that you want to tell us about, Dave? Anyway, what was particularly, what, what was slightly a problem was I had hoped to spend some time in the church just on my own because it has a, a massive history. Mm. Uh, it's mentioned in the first century. Um, the church itself dates to about the 13th century. Um, and in all likelihood, there's been some sort of sense of, of spiritual presence or religious presence there from for a long time before that. Mm. And it has a name, as it, or it's known as the Cathedral of the Vale. And pretty much all around it, any of the footpaths in the area around it, they all lead to the church, so mm. into that space. Mm. Um, and so it was, you know, pretty, uh, pretty likely that the path that I'd taken that day to get there was a path that had been trod by mm. pilgrims, mm. hundreds of them over hundreds of years. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's it's it is a fabulous place. It's it's very 
um, got a real sense of peace mm. and um, calm about it, which is quite amazing. Um, it, it's uh, one thing that you wrote in the reflections was um, it's had a reputation for being a sort of a center for healing for pilgrims yes. as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So um, people would bring the sick and the dying to the church, and um, there were there was some. Um, they wouldn't have been necessarily allowed into the building, um, mm. but they were uh, the on one of the altars is, in the building. There's these holes carved into the front, and you can put your hands through these holes. Mm. Local candle makers used to make candles that people could touch. Candles mm. would be in the building and then take outside. Mm. Mm. Um, and yeah, people still go there um, hoping for healing. Mm, yeah. but i i didn't get the chance to, to to spend the time that i wanted that day having arrived there later and received this much welcome hospitality invitation so i went back there the next morning mm. and and sort of picked up my route from there which is where i would have had to start from anyway mm. and that sense of history is really tangible in this mm. building mm. We talked a little bit about this when I was in uh, Princetown and the big empty church there. That although mm. it's not a church, there weren't people worshiping there. You could sense the history of it. Mm. Um, and um, for myself, it was quite a powerfully um, uh, emotional time for me that morning. I um, I found that. Some of those things that I had hoped I might tackle personally, some of those burdens I had, um, were really, it was, I found myself able to really deal with those or, or let them be dealt with. Mm. Um, I, I had, for several years since my son's death in 2009, mm. kind of tried to tackle some of the things that were still in the back of my mind or would occasionally sort of just spring up from nowhere take me by surprise and some days out of nowhere I could find myself in quite dark places mm. um, and and yet I found myself in this place able to deal with a lot of the stuff guilt hurt anger all sorts of things that mm were wrapped up in that things that i didn't necessarily know were part of those emotions mm. um and it was just the most amazing thing to spend that morning there on my own i mm. cried a lot mm. i and i know that i walked away from there much lighter carrying a lot less mm. than, than i'd gone in it was an amazing day and for me i suppose that was my experience of healing there mm. Mm. Um, and perhaps subconsciously I'd gone there wanted mm. some healing mm. I was going to ask what sort of prompted the um, you know that, that sort of um, as, as you were sharing I, I remember um, you know when we saw you guys a few times uh, you know during that, that period one of the things that um, I found very refreshing um I found very strangely. I found you guys quite healing for me. Um, you know, because obviously we'd we'd known Ben a little bit, 
uh, and you know the, the shock of of what happened to him and what happened to you guys. Um, but you you all talked about it so openly, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't this sort of stepping on eggshells kind of atmosphere. Uh, you spoke about Ben a lot. Spoke about him with a lot of smiles and and laughter. Um, and I'm wondering if, and I might be wrong here, but I'm wondering if, as the sort of the dad in that situation, uh, your sort of primary reaction was to try and create that for others, um, and maybe you were sort of robbed of it for yourself. I don't know. Possibly, I, I suppose. I can remember very bizarrely at his funeral, um, welcoming some friends that had travelled quite a long way to come to their and some, the, the wife in, in the family coming in sort of giving me a hug and saying, oh, I'm ever so sorry. And my response to her was, oh, it's okay, it's all right, don't worry. Mm. And as I said it, I thought, that's a really weird thing to say, because it isn't all right, really. Mm. Um, I, I suppose partly the job, mm. all I have as a minister, I, I, I know I think I felt I just had to get on and deal with things. I never, I never felt, oh, never's a big word, isn't it, actually? Mm-hmm. I think there were times early on in when Ben was first diagnosed when I certainly felt that I must have failed to let this happen. There must be something I'd done wrong. Uh, there was some. This is something I ought to be able to fix because that's mm. what dads do. Dads fix things. Dads mm. sort of things out. They don't let things go wrong. It was my job, and and I know that that even though I possibly put a brave face on a lot of the time, and most of the time I was I was okay with where where we were and what was going on, and I got got on top of it and felt very much God's presence. That time, but there were times when I beat myself up. I know, sort of spiritually and mentally, about you know why? Why this? Why is what have I done to make this happen? Um, and I can remember there was a time early on when, when I was in the hospital when my my only prayers were, God, give me the cancer. Mm. That was the only way. That's all I could think of to do, and I felt at a loss mm. knowing how to deal with it. Mm. Um, and I suppose those became feelings, as I recorded in my journal, of, of guilt and pain. Um, and that day, that morning, somehow, well, by God's grace, um, mm. God led me to that place that day, and I was able to let go of those things and and just leave them behind. And it was, yeah, really powerful. And mm. I suppose from a very selfish point of view, if that's all I had achieved in the seven weeks, that would have been enough for me. Mm. Well, I think, Dave, with... Um, do you remember during um, COVID, um, somebody arranged, I don't know if it was Mary Curie, I think it was, but somebody arranged a National Day of Reflection um, for people mm-hmm. that either died with or died during the sort of the, the COVID period. I remember writing a blog about um, guilt and grief 
and that how very often um, when you're missing somebody, there's this sort of unwanted companion that comes alongside that, oh, I, I should have been there more or I should have said this or I should have done that. And that for a lot of people during COVID, that's going to be amplified because you physically couldn't you know, visit them. Yeah. Um, and of all the things I've ever written about, that got a huge response from people, uh, people talking about uh, people they lost way before COVID. Um, and so I think it's one of the things we don't talk about because I don't think we think it's associated. I don't think we link it in our heads. But grief and, and guilt often go together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, we look for you know, parents who lose children to accidents or incidents or to illnesses. I think... There's, there's a natural sort of tendency to ask, well, what could I have done? I shouldn't have let them out that day. Or what if only I, what if, or, or if a partner is away somewhere and something happens and you didn't have a chance to, mm. to say something, you know, I suppose it's that, that very sort of um, thing, thing that people often bring up, you know, oh, I didn't tell them I loved them or whatever it was, or the last thing we did was argue. And, mm. Mm -hmm. um, as if somehow that then is responsible for why they died or you know if only you'd done that that wouldn't have happened or if your relationship is sort of frozen in that fraternity now mm. yeah. yeah and that's interesting I, I was talking to um, friends recently um, my friend Diane her husband died um, not suddenly he had a long illness and then uh, seemed to be recovering from cancer and then on Boxing Day died just she woke up and he was dead mm. and, and it was linked to some of the, the consequences of his treatment and things like that um, and we were talking about how that impacted her daughter who is the same age as my son pretty much mm. and and she lost a a dad and in that she lost we were talking about the future the things she'd looked towards Mm. Able to share with a dad graduation days wedding days mm. things mm. like that mm. um and her memories of him, of her dad were as were being a 13 year old mm. um and then for my kids they lost their brother um and you know what they they lost their loss kind of shaped itself differently mm. um and and it's it's I don't know we we have these ideas that we can all we should all grieve in the same way and there are sort mm. of formulas for dealing with stuff. Um, in, in a locally, there's a charity that I do some volunteering with, and they are currently running some bereavement courses. And <clears throat> I was talking last night to somebody who's who's, who's attending, mm. and they've they've gone to these bereavement courses thirty years after the loss of their wife and their wow. their child um and just now starting to find some value in this mm, mm. And, and i'm I'm glad they are but i don't think there is a you, you can go to a course and get a fix-all solution no. do this no. and, and then it'll be fine maybe going to a course is just a way of opening yourself up to mm, allow mm. the healing to take place um, yeah. and i think that yeah. nice sort of sense of there is no nice neat easy sort of package um I, I think sometimes for those in sort of spiritual leadership, um, when we go through things, which we do, 
as humans, you know, our relationships, our families, our emotions, all sorts, you know, we're not, we're not immune, uh, far from it. Uh, there can be a certain pressure to wrap it up in a nice, neat sort of story yeah, that yeah. Um, contains it somehow or sanitizes it, when mm. the reality is it was, it was just a mess. Mm. Um, sometimes there are seeds of what God might have been doing. There might be clues. Um, but like you were saying, sometimes it's 30 years later when yeah. some of that gets, starts to be resolved. Mm. Um it sort of reminds me of when um, the disciples asked Jesus about the blind man, you know, who sinned? Was it him or his yeah, parents? Yeah. And Jesus just refused to engage in that sort of very simplistic mm -hmm. uh, understanding of illness and struggle and personhood. Um, but he knew that God's glory could be revealed in that situation, in, in the mess, rather than somehow putting it outside of that or resolving it neatly. Um, yeah. Yeah, and... I guess sometimes those some of those those things we do to who can we blame, who who do we point the finger at, mm. can seem like a way of lifting responsibility from our own shoulders. Mm. This is my fault. I can point the finger at somebody else. I I worry about the sort of frequency or the the, the way in which there's a lot of a lot more litigation taken out against hospitals mm -hmm. and doctors when somebody doesn't survive being in hospital and some of that is linked to um this idea that we we're gonna live forever and you know hospital mm -hmm. go to hospital and you will get fixed and when we don't mm -hmm. it's like well that's your job you should have sorted that out but yeah but it yeah. worries me that we've got to we've got to blame people we've got to point the finger mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. I um, I think, you know, as a minister, a church minister, one of my greatest privileges was to be invited into the lives of families who were having to deal with uh, the loss of, of a family member, someone close mm -hmm. to them, mm -hmm. um, and to be drawn into that space and that time with them and to be to be allowed to try and help them begin the process of, of grieving and, and working out how to celebrate the life of this person was a huge, huge privilege. Mm. Hard work, really mm. hard work at times. But um, yeah, yeah, one of the things yeah. I found to be an amazing privilege. Mm. Mm. I think um, yeah, there's something about the finality of, of grief and of loss that means that that guilt can somehow feel um inevitable um that it's never going to sort of go away and i think your story and other people's journeys could sort of point to the hope that well he's jesus is the lord of life the lord of mm. the lord over death um even those things that we feel most deeply about and most grieved by most guilty about um can all be restored can all be yeah. um in him in him yes. um and there is a way out of that cycle of um darkness of 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 strain uh you can't rush it you know you can't um you know but if you will open yourself up and walk with others through it mm. um jesus can meet you in that yeah. um, just yesterday i was um moving tidying up some paperwork and bits and pieces documents and i found I have a box that have got lots of letters and cards that were sent to us at the time. Mm. Also something that I wrote quite soon afterwards. 
um, partly to share um, at um, an event locally. So as a family for a couple of years, we used to go to Gorsky Fire Festival or Gorsky mm. Festival. It was a small church near Gloucestershire, mm. in Gloucestershire. And um, they it had started as a fire festival. It had become a sort of long weekend festival of music and speaking and teaching. And it was a really lovely family place. And it was at that festival, the one first or second year, that we first had an inkling that there was something wrong uh, with Ben. Um, and during that time, I'd um, been invited to do some prayers on one of the, to lead some prayers on one of the, the sessions. Mm. Um, and then later, when we went back a few years later and Ben had passed away, um, I was invited by... Um, John, there, the minister there at the time. It, you know, maybe I could share something with people who had known us as a family with Ben. Mm. And as I was reflecting on that, the thing that what it, these words just came to me, and and they sort of shaped this little reflection. And they were simply this: that Jesus is Ben shaped. Mm. And and what that meant for me at the time was there was this hole in me. There really was this thing that was missing early on in my life, after Ben died, this Ben-shaped hole. And what I discovered was that Jesus filled that hole perfectly mm, mm, um, mm. as I allowed him to. Mm. And in truth, that is the reality. Jesus is the shape of whatever we need him to be. But um, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to be able to go there allow yourself to go there and have that hope i suppose for us as a family our hope was very much rooted in in ben's amazing faith mm, mm, he was okay. baptized during his his illness he he wrote to the deacons and asked himself if he could get baptized and mm. he would constantly sort of question people about whether they were saved and whether they you know mm. and and him, he himself told his mum and I in the hospital when we'd been to visit one of the consultants who had told us and told Ben that they they could keep doing operations but they couldn't stop mm -hmm. cancer coming back yeah. and he stopped and he sat and he looked at us and he said I don't want you to be sad but um but I want to go and be with Jesus mm -hmm. well I mean you know, we were sad, but we were kind of like overwhelmed by that sort of, mm, mm. Um, he, he was so absolutely trusted in God. He never mm. blamed anybody for what happened. Yeah, sometimes asked questions, um, but mm. was just excited that he would go to see God. And you know, that's mm. a hard thing to hear from as, as a parent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's something in what you're talking about, um, uh, if if you'll go there, um, I've often thought of you know the um, story of resurrection, Easter Sunday morning. Um, you know, the people go to the tomb after a whole day on Saturday, weeping and wailing. The reality is Jesus could have met them at any point and said, yeah. "Oh, guys, it's, it's okay," uh, but he he waits for them to get to that point of seeing the tomb, seeing it empty, seeing the the brutality of that moment, the finality of it all, staring into the darkness. And it's then that he appears. Yeah. Because um, they go to their, their grief, they go to the place where they're expecting 
their grief to be even more and to be confirmed and all their all their worst um, beliefs are going to be materialized there when they see the body and mm. it's, it's not a bad dream and that's that's really important i think what you say there that it has to be there mm. it has mm. to be at the point of where people are expecting it to be the worst it could be right at the end of it all yeah, yeah. not not that jesus said oh no let's forget about that let's let's mm. move on let's pretend that bit didn't happen mm. it's, all, it's all okay now yeah it's all okay now because of that yes you've got to start there for people and and sometimes maybe that's one of the things that we get wrong when we try to encourage people in the grief process or to journey we try to shift them very fast very yes be away from what it is that's broken them or or shattered their lives and mm. gotta start there to be mm. fixed that i guess is what happened to me in that church that morning mm. Mm that God took me back to that and all the things, all the darkness that I'd still carried but hidden away and he just dealt with it there and then and it was an amazing feeling to get up and walk out the rest of that day feeling like these are, I, I don't have to do that anymore, it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Incredible, absolutely awesome. Uh, so we're moving on to, I'm going to go for this, Pilsden. Pilsden, yeah. Where are we leaving? Uh, we're leaving Whitchurch, Ronnie Corbett, to go to <laughs> uh, Pilsden. Pilsden, yeah. The Pilsden community. Are um, there any dangerous animals in the next episode, Dave, that we should... Um... What, what are we going to do? I want you to go away if, between this and next one or a couple of episodes, and I want you to Google how many people get killed by cows. What I'm going to Google is a list of dangerous animals and just see where cows come on that list, if indeed they do. Um, cool. If I'm wrong, then we won't mention it next time and uh, life, will, life will move on. Fabulous. Good. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Godcasts. Mm-hmm.